Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show, where we cover all the latest and biggest news of the week. Bayern Munich never leaves us with a boring week, that is for sure. And even as the team finished up their season, and now they head on to an international uh, camp with Germany, most of them, some others will be going to Canada, France, and some other countries. But even as the boys head out, there is still plenty of news going on and unfortunately plenty of drama, most of which you've already read, read about at BFW, but we've got some thoughts on all things Bayern Munich. And as always, we will get the format started with the five things that we learned this week. And the first thing that we learned this week is that Bayern Munich's summer transfer window plans are finally coming into fruition. We saw the signing of Nusser Mizrahi. He will fill that right back or right wing back role for Julian Nagelsmann. This is a huge signing. This allows Benjamin Pavar to slide into center back, which is something not only that he wants, but definitely something that the team needs. And it's also great to have his versatility still on the roster. Uh, the, you know, having Pavar being able to not just play center back, but filling it right back if there's an injury, I think it provides an excellent depth option. I'm not so sure that he's not the second best center back on the team right now anyway. So him sliding in centrally is a good thing in my eyes. I think it's a natural career progression for him. It's something that he's wanted. And with Nicholas Sula leaving, I I don't think it could have been avoided. Of course, with that, we know that Bayern Munich is also seeking out another center back allegedly. So we'll see if anything comes with that. But Mesrawi coming into the squad will allow Julian Nagelsmann to really roll out that back three and give him a true player that could play the wing back position like Alfonso Davies is able to on the left side. Uh, Having an offensive minded player at that right wing back, someone who can bomb up field, create offense from that spot. I think it's huge. And it's one of the things that was missing for as decent of a season as I thought Benjamin Pavar had. Uh, in 2021 slash 2022, uh, he is not that kind of player. He's more of a stay-at-home defender type. Of course, he can hit a, a nice volley every once in a while, but he is definitely more of a prototypical defender rather than an Alfonso Davies hybrid wingback type that can get up the field and stay up there for extended periods. So Mesrali definitely fills that void for Nagelsmann. The only big question, I think, is if Nagelsmann will use him as a wing back in a back three system or if he will use Mizrahi in a back four as a right back. It probably won't change Mizrahi's role too much, but what it could do is leave that back line susceptible if there is a back four because we all know that Davies loves to get upfield. We all saw this season that he had some trouble getting back at times because he was so high. If you add Masrali into that mix and if he plays the same exact way, instead of having three defenders back, uh, we could we could now be facing Bayern uh, going up against counterattacks with just the two center backs. And hopefully that's not the case. But uh, I do think that this is one of the natural moves for Nagelsmann to put in his system. And we know that that's going to be something that will be hotly debated among the fan base. Uh, There are many, many people that do not want to see a back three base system for Bayern Munich. Hell, I don't think most people want to see a hybrid (laughs) system that Nagelsmann implemented last season. Uh, So this is going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of back and forth. Personally, 
I think I'm okay with Nagelsmann using a back three if that's what he thinks is best. Like I've always said, you hire a coach, you hire the coach's system. You want to get players to make that system work. I think when Nagelsmann used that hybrid last season, while it was good offensively, it definitely left too many holes. Uh, And I think it created a lot of confusion for the backline players. Uh, As we saw early in the season when when they mostly used the hybrid, and even toward the end when it was a true back four at times, it seemed like Bayern just struggled to know who was supposed to be where, who was going to have coverage, and how that was going to work. So Masrawi should provide some balance to the force on that. And I think as a right wing back, you know, it'll be sink or swim time for him. Can he handle playing at Bayern Munich? It's no offense to Ajax, great club. They've had some great Champions League runs. This stage is going to be a little bit bigger for him. The competition's going to be a lot better over the course of the season. I'm very interested to see how he handles it. Uh, You know, I have not seen him play a ton. So this is going, you know, for me to be something that I can go into with uh, an open mindset and watch play out, you know, as with any player that comes in from a, I hate to say smaller club because of the history of Ajax, but comes in from a less competitive league and maybe a bit smaller of a club. Um, you know, it's always interesting to see how they handle it. And Masrali will definitely have a spotlight on him. I think fans are expecting a lot and uh, he will have some pressure on him. Now, along with Masrali, the rumors about his IX teammate, Ryan Gravenberch, have been, they've been going on for months, right? I mean, this has been one of those things that has been dragging on and on and on. And it seems like we finally know this week that Bayern Munich is going to be signing Gravenberch, that he will be part of the roster next season. And it will be for somewhere around 20 million euro. There'll be some bonuses. There will be a sell-on fee attached to it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the move. And, you know, the natural reaction for a lot of people when I say that is, well, why? What's the difference? It's, you know, a good young midfielder. He's on the upswing. He has great potential. Why are you against this move? And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily against it. I just think that the, the funds being spent on Graven Birch could be spent elsewhere, to be honest. Uh, I don't think having a young player in the central midfield right now is exactly what the team needs. And when we look at the current roster, you know, you have your two entrenched starters, Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. They are not going anywhere. The only iffy part about those two is Goretzka has a somewhat uh, – dodgy injury history he can pick up some nagging injuries I think you can always pencil him to miss about mm, 10 games a season at a minimum so you do need some depth there but when you look at the current roster's depth I'm just not sure why you would want to go out and spend that much money on Gravenberch now in the old transfer market spending 20 million on a player like him would be no big deal but this is the new age of Bayern Munich not really having a ton of funds available Bayern Munich uh, needing to be very judicious with how they spend their money and on what positions they spend. So I don't don't get it uh, at all, really. So when we look at that depth, we know that the the most recent reports say that Marcel Sabitzer is probably coming back, which is a good thing, I guess. Maybe not for him, good for the club. Uh, He's looking to prove himself after a very down season, uh, after transferring from RB Leipzig. Uh, Sabitzer never got on track and was easily one of the top two or three biggest disappointments on the squad. And 
seeing how he played the previous season at Leipzig compared to what he did under Nagelsmann at Bayern Munich was, it was pretty devastating to be honest. Uh, Quarantan Tolisso, of course, is rumored to be leaving. His own injury history makes him uh, a very interesting case to say the least. I think someone will take a chance on him. I think someone will pay him what he wants to be paid and hope that he can stay injury free. And I think he will leave the club. Mark Roca, the other option, a defensive midfielder. He's drawing some interest from Eintracht Frankfurt, which is very interesting. Uh, Real Betis and FC Barcelona. So where where Roca ends up if he does leave will be will be fascinating. But uh, if I were Roca, I would definitely be looking to to get out. To be honest with you, um, but we'll see where he goes. But circling this all the way back to the team's depth and how Gravenberch can support. You have to look at a lot of things. And um, for me, when I look at this, I see that Sabitzer's there and I'm willing to give him another shot. So, you know, you could justify signing Gravenberch and justify the 20 million. But you also have those rumors out there about Conrad Limer and Bayern Munich really wanting to get him to be that ball-winning defensive midfielder that they just currently don't have on this roster. I think a lot of people were hoping that Joshua Kimmich could be that player, but he's definitely morphed into more of a creative eight, which unfortunately is about the same way that Leon Goretzka plays. Of course, when I say that, Goretzka is creative in how he gets up the field and attacks the box. He is truly a box-to-box midfielder. Um, you know, Kimmich plays the role a little bit more of distributor. Uh, they do complement each other very well, but adding a player like Limer into the mix would certainly give them a different look. Again, if I'm Limer, I don't know why I would want to go to Bayern Munich and accept the backup role and also have to look at the depth chart and see that Marcel Sabitzer is going to be right alongside me and that Ryan Gravenberch will probably be there as well. So in the end, and you know, where I fall on this is I probably would have passed on Gravenberch. I don't think he's going to get enough time to really showcase himself, to build up his value. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to end up yet another midfielder that gets buried on the bench if Bayern Munich gets a couple of shots to get in, doesn't do well, or tries to do too much when he's in there because he's obviously wants to prove himself and he could suffer because of that. And again, that might be an off the wall prediction, but I don't, you know, I don't get spending that type of money on a player that might not really have a functional role in the squad, especially when we've just heard the consistent cries from the front office that they don't have enough money to really go out and get stud players. So uh, with Gravenberch, you know, it, it, the deal is done. It just hasn't been announced yet. And I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. So it could happen as early as Friday morning, but Something tells me we'll see it next week because Gravenberch has reportedly been on vacation. So I would imagine when he gets back and fulfills his medical check requirements, we could see that announcement. But it does look like Byron will indeed get those two Ajax players in-house. We know Masraoui is a done deal and Gravenberch just has to put his name on the dotted line. So the second thing we learned this week is that Wow, Bayern Munich is very, very interested in both Liverpool Sade, Sadio Mane, and VfB Stuttgart's Sasa Kalajic. Um, Kalajic, we've talked about a lot. I mean, he is a big target man at center, at, 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 as a center forward. 
he is going to be the type of player uh, who continues to develop. He's still a bit young, uh, still needs to refine his game a little bit. The, the fan base and opinions from the fan base are very split on Kalajic. Uh, you would think that a player with a couple of years in the Bundesliga and someone who at least has one very, very good year, which was two years ago under his belt, uh, would have a little bit more fanfare, but he does not. P- people are, by and large, pretty skeptical, not just because of his injury history, but because he doesn't have a longer track record of success. And, you know, when you're looking at replacing Robert Lewandowski, you want a sure thing. And to say Kalajic is a is a sure thing would would be false. Now, where Sadio Mane fits into this, I don't know. I don't see him as a replacement at striker for Lewandowski. I see him more as a replacement for Serge Gnabry in one of those attacking midfield roles. But Mane, again, he's one of these players that if you're going to play a 3-4-2-1, I think Mane probably works best as a wing, although he probably, you know, I don't doubt that he can play one of those attacking midfield roles. But you have so much talent there already. When you talk about Thomas Muller and Jamal Musiala and Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman and currently Serge Gnabry, those are five really good players for two spots if, if Nagelsmann uses that system. More so, even if he does use a 4-2-3-1, I mean, you are looking at you know one attacking midfielder and two wings. It's still a lot of talent for those three positions. So I don't know, again, if Mane is as good as he is, and I have no doubt that he could come and be an impact player, he's not quite what Bayern Munich needs. And, you know, he's older than Gnabry. Uh, Gnabry obviously has the German ties. He's a very popular and integral figure in the locker room, given his close friendships with Kimmich Goretzka, uh, among other players. Um, It's a very interesting situation that Bayern Munich is going to be in. Uh, I don't necessarily, I sound like, you know, here I am grumpy old bastard, right? Like I don't want any of these guys. And it's not that I don't want uh, Sadio Mane. Uh, It has nothing to do with that. And it has nothing to do with the Mane Sane mess ups that I will have alone will be a million. But uh, I just don't know if he is a fit for what you need. And I don't know while he will make you better if it's not going to take away from something else, is it going, it's certainly going to affect the playing time for, for people like Kingsley Coman or Leroy Sané, Jamal Musiala or Thomas Muller. I mean, there's an abundance of talent there. I just don't know if Mane is the fit that you need. And as for Kalajic, you know, you need a striker. Is he the right one? I don't know. To me, it comes down to price. If you can get him for a price that you're affordable with and you know that Lewandowski is going to leave this summer, if you you plan on selling him, you have to get someone. Uh, I know there were some reports out there that Thomas Muller and Serge Gnabry would would kind of be makeshift nines if Bayern had to. But um, I think Lewandowski's role within the offense, no matter what the formation is, is so important and he does so much that leaving that spot unattended or trying to half-ass it, I'm not so sure it would be a great idea. Uh, I'm more inclined to take a look at Kalajic and some of the other players on the market uh, just because I think you need someone that's an official striker on this team. I don't think that you can get by with a striker by committee And I don't think you can take someone that's completely unproven and put in there. So as of now, if I was going to have a 
a board of people in the lead, I think I'd be leaning toward Kalajic, but it's not really, uh, it's not really a situation where like I would do anything to get him. I think more than anything, I'd be willing to let this play out a little bit and uh, see, you know, see what happens. Maybe take a look at the market again, see if anyone else becomes available because I just don't know enough about Kalajic in terms of his long-term ability to see if he could come in and really even give you half of what Lewandowski does. And again, nobody, nobody can give you what Lewandowski does. And that's why I partly don't fault Bayern Munich for wanting to keep him just because he's so impossible to replace. If you keep him for another year, it gives you, you know, 12 months, 13 months to figure out what you're going to do. And I think you might even need that. Uh, it might even be worth not collecting a fee on him because who knows if the fee is really going to be all that worthwhile anyway. So uh, I'm, I'm saying no on Mane. I'm kind of in up in the air on Kalajic, even though I probably would do it if he is at an affordable price, uh, just because I think you need someone in that role. But I'm not super enthused about either player, I guess, is the best way that you could say that. And the third thing that we learned this week is... Uh, Robert Lewandowski's contract situation, which we just referenced, is not getting any, really getting any clearer at this point. What we do know is that FC Barcelona and Robert Lewandowski, if you believe the reports, have agreed to personal terms. So if Barca and Bayern can get together, a deal is going to happen pretty quickly because there is no, there's not going to be any type of negotiation on personal terms for Lewandowski. It even appears that he's going to take a pay cut to go to Barcelona, which is really odd for a player at this time of his career. But I guess it does show that Lewandowski is committed to getting out of Bayern Munich and he'll do uh, whatever is needed to get that done. We have also seen him linked to both Real Madrid and Chelsea. The funny thing about those links and the reports that we've seen say that he hasn't been offered to Chelsea or he hasn't been offered to Real Madrid. And I believe that. I don't think Pini Zahavi is out there soliciting interest. But it doesn't mean that they aren't interested in Lewandowski, and it doesn't mean that Lewandowski might not be interested in either Real Madrid or Chelsea. Now, with Chelsea, I think they would easily be third on the list behind the two La Liga clubs because it just seems like Lewandowski wants to move to Spain. I mean, we did see the pictures of his wife vacationing in Spain, which a couple of months back, uh, you know, we joked about on our BFW Slack channel. and People were like, oh, it's just a vacation. But I don't know. She might have been house hunting at that time. So who knows? But it does seem like his family has an affinity for Spain and that they want to live there. So, um, you know, while Chelsea probably can offer him a nice financial package and probably can give Bayern maybe even a little bit more cash in terms of a transfer fee than either uh, Real Madrid or FC Barcelona, I think Chelsea is a distant third in the running. Real Madrid, I could see. I just think that Barca is so lasered in on Lewandowski and they've presented him with a plan and that they've shown him that he's wanted something that Bayern Munich allegedly has failed to do. Uh, giving someone like Lewandowski that assurance, making them feel appreciated and wanted, I'm sure went a long way. And it always cracks me up that when we look at athletes like Lewandowski and we think, man, he has it all super talented, jacked, uh got seems like he has a great family life he's grounded he's not one of these guys that's you know an idiot now getting into trouble he seems to be a good citizen 
there are so many positive qualities about him. He's just dedicated. It's such a great story and how he's made it to this point. You could go on and on about Robert Lewandowski and all of his qualities. But the one thing that has plagued him, and maybe this is what drives him to be so great and almost so perfect in everything, is the insecurity that surrounds him about being appreciated, feeling wanted. And I kind of get it, to be honest, because I think when he was coming up, he probably had a pretty high opinion of himself. And then he was playing in the third division in Poland and probably wondering why he couldn't get any opportunities, why no one was looking at him. And it probably drove him crazy and it probably drove him to reach the heights that he has. Everybody needs a little bit of motivation. Everybody needs a little kick in the ass once in a while. And I think with Lewandowski, his insecurity is really what has driven him to this point. And the minute that Bayern Munich did not shower him with praise, did not make him feel like the most special person on earth, I think he checked out. And you listen, I'm not even criticizing him for it because the fact that this whole situation even got this far, whether you believe Pini Zahavi or Brazo or whoever, the fact that it's gotten this far is ridiculous. It should have never gotten this far. Either Bayern Munich should have discussed this with Lewandowski and Zahavi and started to go down the path of an extension, or they should have made plans to sell him this summer. And if they had done that, they maybe could have prepared better to make a more serious run at Erling Haaland. Now we have, you know, the stories come out that Byron's flirting with Holland are really the primary driver behind uh, Lewandowski wanting to leave. And maybe primary is the wrong word there, but, you know, with Lewandowski not receiving, allegedly not receiving an offer from Bayern Munich last fall, allegedly not receiving an offer from Bayern Munich this winter, allegedly not even receiving an offer this spring from Bayern Munich, um, all those things, plus the flirting, plus the general feeling of being underappreciated. This has all driven Lewandowski to want to leave. And, you know, clubs like Barca and Real Madrid and Chelsea are all just chomping at the bit, waiting for him to become available and waiting for Bayern Munich to pull the trigger and say, we will sell him this summer. Whether that happens or not is, is going to be extremely uh, fascinating because he's worth so much on the pitch to Bayern Munich. Financially, he's worth so much on the pitch to Bayern Munich. I don't know that it's going to, you know, that any transfer fee that would be thrown on the table is going to generate more money for Bayern Munich than what Lewandowski could. And having him over the course of next season would do on the pitch. So uh, how it plays out remains to be seen. But Lewandowski is absolutely one of these guys who, man, it, Losing him is good. It's going to be tough. It's, I mean, it's happening. It's just a matter of when, um, but seeing him go over to FC Barcelona and seeing how, uh, you know, clubs like Real Madrid and Chelsea are, are trying to weasel their way <laughs> at this point as well. It's going to be tough to just sit back and watch it all happen. And knowing that Bayern Munich really has zero chance of, Re-upping him, it is it is going to be extremely, extremely tough. Um, you know, it's obviously for fans, it's going to be a painful watch uh, as, as we all sit there and have to read the stories every day and see the reports and know that the Robert Lewandowski era at Bayern Munich is going to come to an end. Uh, the fourth thing that we learned this week is that after missing out on Kylian Mbappe, 
Real Madrid is also considering making a hard run at Serge Gnabry. And we can dive into Gnabry's whole contract ordeal as well. And, and we touched on it a little bit with Sadio Mane and Bayern's potential recruitment of him. But what we do know is that Bayern Munich and Serge Gnabry cannot get on the same page right now. There are several roadblocks. One is the salary. Gnabry wants a certain number. Bayern Munich only wants to pay him a certain number, which would obviously be lower. Um, so we know that right off the bat. So the salary, those things can be negotiated and worked on, right? Like it's not a huge deal. Those things can always be worked out. But the other issue for Gnabry is that he wants some assurances that he's going to have a specific role on the team. And that role really is dependent on what formation Julian Nagelsmann runs. And it seems like everything goes back to that, right? Like we all, I mean, whatever Julian Nagelsmann runs determines how this squad is built, which is something that should have been happening from the outset. It doesn't seem like that's what happened, but in terms of a strategic vision for this squad, it seems like Bayern is finally starting to work the coach's way rather than really not consulting you know, what the coach would be running or, or factoring it in and just going out and trying to get players and squeeze them into it. But with Gnabry, if, if Nagelsmann runs that 3-4-2-1, he would be an attacking midfield. Now, we did see Gnabry play wingback, which is something that he is adamantly trying to avoid. He doesn't want to be a wingback. Now, if you, you know, run a 4-3-3 or you run a 4-2-3-1, you want to play Gnabry as a wing, he's a good with that. He likes that. But if it's a 3-4-2-1, he wants to be in one of those central spots. And as we talked about during the segment with Mane and Kalajic, like where is Gnabry fitting in on a consistent basis right now? Thomas Muller is one of those attacking midfielders. Jamal Musiala is one of those attacking midfielders. In fact, those would be my two starters. And yeah, it's crazy to think I would have Kingsley Coman and Leroy Sané on the bench. It's nuts, but that's the way if, if Nagelsmann's running that formation – I want the two best attacking midfielders out there. And to me, it's Musiala and Muller. But besides that, that puts Gnabry, if he stayed on the roster, as the fifth option. And that, I cannot see him being okay with that. And to me, if I was going to do a psychological deep dive into these negotiations and really figure out what was going on, I think Gnabry knows that. And I don't think, I'm going to be honest, if you, if you gave me the choice of Gnabry versus Leroy Sané, I take Gnabry probably six out of seven days of the week. That one day that Sané, um, you know, I might take Sané, but it really, I think Gnabry is just a little better. I think Sané is more talented, but I do think Gnabry in the long term can be more productive for Bayern Munich. And it's really not a knock on either player. They're both great. But, um, you know, when Byron went out and got Sané, when they re-upped Kingsley Coman, um, you know, that feeling of not being totally appreciated, maybe feeling a little bit redundant, I think that hit Serge Gnabry. And now when, you know, he's looking at the future of the squad and how Nagelsmann's going to send his troops out and who's going to be playing where, he's probably wondering, where the hell do I fit in? And even if he wanted to play right wing back, that's not going to happen now either because they've got Nusar Mizrawi. So Gnabry at this point would be a really high priced, valuable asset that while, you know, he probably would play just not enough, not enough for him not enough for, for his talent level. And I think you could say the same about Coman Musiala or Sané really. I think, I think, I don't think any of those guys are really going to be happy at some point 
at any point next season. Um, you know, Mueller could start to take a step back, but then, I mean, if you're going to push Mueller to the bench and, and they could, um, are you really helping your team? So I don't envy Nagelsmann having to work through this and do that whole situation with all of those guys for those positions. I don't, I don't envy him at all, but for Gnabry, I get it. I understand why he's looking at all this and saying, all right, well, I want to stay. I just want to have a position. And even if I don't have a position, if I'm going to be more of a depth player, then I want to be paid. And I don't think Bayern Munich's going to do that. And I think it looks more and more likely that Serge Gnabry is going to leave and if he does, it's it's a big loss. I mean, Gnabry, at, at any point in the last couple of years, if you would have said Serge Gnabry could be sold in the summer of 2022, I would have said, nah, that's not happening. Coman will be gone. Or, you know, Sané is not dependable, so they need Gnabry. Well, Coman re-upped. Sané is in the middle of a longer-term deal. And unfortunately, the way the timing has dictated things, it looks like Serge Gnabry could be the odd man out of the mix. If they do bring in Sadio Mane, which, you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of against, uh, that will officially seal the end of Serge Gnabry's tenure at Bayern Munich. I think he would be done at that point. So um, we'll be watching the transfer wire for sure, because this is all going to have a trickle down effect and Mane and Gnabry, their futures right now are intertwined. And uh, I do think that if Gnabry, can be presented with a good financial package from another club. And if they can offer him what he wants from a sporting perspective, whether that's a role as a nine or a 10, or even just in a traditional wing position, I think he would take it. Obviously we know there are plenty of systems out there that can be run some two striker systems where Gnabry probably could be a a big factor as well. So um, for Bayern fans that are Serge Gnabry fans, this could be a tough summer. It's not going to be easy. I mean, this is a tough period of time for Bayern Munich fans. It sounds weird to say that because you just won, you know, 10 straight Bundesliga titles and everything looks great and everyone should be riding high, but things really could go sideways over the course of the summer. When you take away such important elements of the team, potentially take away, I should say, like Robert Lewandowski or Serge Gnabry, there's an impact that will be made and it won't just be on the pitch. It will be in the locker room. And these are things a lot of people don't account for. And for Bayern Munich, these are important players. Uh, these are players who I thought would have a good chance of finishing their career with the club, actually, uh, Gnabry and Lewandowski. But uh, I do think that, you know, if Real Madrid can pull together a nice offer that financially makes Gnabry happy, and if they can show him a plan for how he would be used that's better than what Julian Nagelsmann can offer him, I think he's gone. And, uh, you know, Bayern would probably be able to capitalize on that with a with a nice transfer fee given his age, but probably not what he's really worth. I think if he wants to go, we're probably looking, what, 50, 60 million euro at the most. And he's probably worth more than that. So uh, Serge Gnabry is, again, one of those hot topics that we will be following over the course of this summer. And uh, to me... To me, it's just crazy that that we're even getting down to this point. Um, I didn't think the Bayern Munich brass would let it happen with Lewandowski. I certainly didn't think they would let it happen with Gnabry, but here we are. Finally, the last thing we learned this week, and this ties into the transfer window, is that Bayer Leverkusen is making a run now. I think Bayer Leverkusen uh, is maybe seeing a little bit of blood in the water right now, so... The big events for Leverkusen this week, obviously the biggest one was signing 
Patrick Schick to an extension through 2027. So this does a couple of things for them. One, it gives them probably the second best striker in the Bundesliga. Uh, it solidifies him in their lineup for another five years, which is great for them. And it also, um, you know, gives them a player that if they needed to sell, if they need to replenish funds or anything, he's easily going to be it because of his age and where he's at in his career. You know, he's anywhere from a 70 million euro to 100 million euro player on the open market, considering where strikers are going and how they've been valued. Uh, Patrick Schick really is one of those that would probably, he would draw a lot of attention if he was out on the open market. So Leverkusen now has that flexibility that if they need it to sell someone, Schick gives them that great option. But hell, with him on the field, they're going to be a good team. And if Florian Verts can come back, and he can be as impactful, and it might not happen next season because, as we know, the first season after an ACL tear is always a, a wash. You just If you get anything positive out of it, great but you're probably not going to get a lot. Uh, but in two years, if Florian Verts can reach those heights that we all think that he can, uh, that's going to be a dangerous team, especially if the other part of the news that we heard this week for Leverkusen goes through. And that is, we have heard that Leverkusen actually outgunned Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund for another Czech striker, Adam Holozic. With Holozic being a, and he's not exactly a Schick clone, but he's built in the same mold. Um, with those two potentially running in a two striker system, this could be a very dangerous Leverkusen squad if the Holozic move goes through. Um, <laughs> to me, uh, I, I think these are these are good, smart moves for Leverkusen. Uh, I think that they're really eyeing a Champions League spot next season. I think they're going to to make every effort to clinch one. And I think they're setting themselves up nicely to do that. For Rudy Voller on his way out the door, he is obviously doing a good job of setting his club up to look really good and positioning themselves in a good way uh, to, to make that run next season. And who knows, with the way that Bayern Munich is going and and the potential of losing key players and how the remaining roster adapts and in, in what could be a new system under Julian Nagelsmann and how new players are integrated in and if there are any growing plans. Bayern could be as susceptible next season as they've been in a long time. And as for Borussia Dortmund, I mean, Dortmund has talent, but they're also losing Erling Haaland, which is going to devastate their offense. And even if Eden Terzic could come in and establish a good defensive presence. And again, adding Nicholas Sula and Nico Schlotter back into the mix will certainly make their defense stronger. If he can figure out a way to make them consistent, if he can figure out a way to just get enough offense, they could also be a challenge. But as, as, as we've seen a million times, Dortmund could also fold and collapse, which again would make the league a little more susceptible next season. Uh, for a club like Leverkusen, who, while they may not have the depth or the overall talent level, could certainly become a player in the league. Um, you know, if you want to look at RB Leipzig, they look positioned pretty well right now. But if they lose uh, Christopher Nkunku, if they lose Joshko Garvidal, which are two players who it looks like they, they may lose, Danny Olmo is always connected to someone. Um, you know, Leipzig has become the kind of club that could just bleed so much talent, Conrad Leimer being another one they bleed so much talent that they always need a two or three year ramp up. And if they lose 
you know, four players like that or three of the four or even two of the four, it's going to be tough to replace. They just lost Marcel Sabitzer, and that's coming off of losing Timo Werner, <laughs> among other players. So they, they have they have given up a lot of talent in recent years, and uh, the Bundesliga next season, you know, could be there for the taking if a club like Leverkusen can surround a player like Patrick Schick and Florian Wirtz with enough complementary players who know their roles and understand their roles and are able to do those jobs in, in a very good way. Um, you know, they're setting themselves up nicely to make a serious challenge at the league. So that will cover it for the footy topics, but I did want to touch on one more thing. And that is the midseason finale of Better Call Saul, which gave us an absolutely shocking ending that I don't think many people saw coming. And wow, I think the psychology of the show has really ramped itself up to a new level. Now, obviously, we we know what the outcomes are in Breaking Bad, and we know that this show leads right into Breaking Bad. But some of the loose ends that, that need to be tied up we saw how they got tied up or why those characters were not featured in Breaking Bad. So we were learning a lot about that over the course of this first half of the last season of Better Call Saul. The second half of the last season, which I believe comes out in July, will officially tie up everything and hopefully give us an idea of of what Jimmy McGill is up to in the post-Breaking Bad world, along with how he formally transitions from Better Call Saul into the Breaking Bad uh, series. But uh, without giving anything away via spoilers, I will say this. One of the key characters in Better Call Saul, obviously, is Kim, who is now Jimmy's wife. And the fact that she is not present at all in Breaking Bad, this could go a million different ways. What does that mean for the character Kim? Um, obviously it can mean a lot of things, right? It, you know, and, and based on what happened in that last episode, uh, you can see how the events that transpired there might be enough to push someone as smart as her character is over the edge to exit that world or to get out of that world. But there are also a lot of other possibilities given how deep things are for Jimmy McGill, AKA Saul Goodman, uh, at the end of that last episode and, and how he gets out of that situation, what happens with Kim and how this all ties together nicely to lead into Breaking Bad will will definitely be absolutely stunning to watch. I think Better Call Saul has been one of the, if not the greatest spinoffs in the history of prestige TV Uh, It it has just lived up to everything that I hoped it would in terms of being entertaining, being well-written, carrying the same kind of aura, environment, and theme of the original show. Um, It's done all of that. The characters have stayed true to who they are, the ones that we knew. Uh, They've absolutely been great in tying everything together. I couldn't be a bigger fan. I couldn't say enough good things. I know it's not a universal opinion. Some people just don't get Better Call Saul. Some people don't get Breaking Bad at all. But as I've said a million times over, I was a huge Wire fan. Uh, I had always heralded that as my favorite show and the best show ever. You know, Game of Thrones was was barreling right towards knocking it off the perch, but it fell off so bad 
in that last season that it, it just it turned me off. Breaking Bad, however, I thought was truly the one show that didn't have a bad season. Uh, the last season of The Wire, as I've said a couple of times, was not great. The last episode was the last two episodes were awesome, but the last season was not great. Breaking Bad was just nonstop great all the way through. Um, for me, it was the the most entertaining show, start to finish, best written, best characters, uh, slightly edging the wire, which I know it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but to me, that's how I felt. Uh, and so to see what the writers were able to do in concocting this prequel and then eventually making all of these things tie together. It's been fascinating to watch play out. And it is very, very interesting to me to see how some of these characters who we don't see in Breaking Bad, what happens with them. Obviously, like I said, we know what happened to a couple of them already, but uh, I think how the writers handle this transition and, and what they do with those characters you know, I, I can't be more excited to see how it plays out. Uh, to me, it has been a joyride to watch. It's been just a lot of fun. It's been, you know, it's not a comedy by any means, but man, I, I appreciate how they have really just carried over the essence of Breaking Bad into this prequel and not really missed a beat. So those last episodes I'm super psyched for. I know that they will be coming out in the summer and, uh, just can't be, you know, any more excited than I am to watch it all play out. So that'll wrap it up for this one. Uh, I'm hoping to be on with someone next week. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, schedules did not align for a number of reasons, but we'll see what we can do. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our Tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. And as always, you can get Samarin and Schnitzel on our site. Schnitzel, of course, is on a brief hiatus. He should be back in maybe a month or so. Looking forward to seeing him back in the mix. Uh, but, uh, hey, just want to say enjoy your weekend. There are no games to watch, really, in terms of Bayern Munich, but I'm sure you can find some footy somewhere to watch. There may be a big game or so this weekend. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, enjoy your weekend. Have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time.